find that you've arrived in Frankenstein. Perhaps the Count will find a way to make his monster work today. For if he solves this monster mania, he can return to Transylvania. So welcome where the sun won't shine to the castle of Count Frightenstein. Bienvenidos empacadores sin fronteras, dos papás dedicados al amor, la risa y los empacadores de Green Bay. Packers Without Borders, the greatest podcast on the planet. Two dads talking love, life, dedicated to the Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Verde y amarillo hasta la muerte. Welcome to Packers Without Borders. I am your co-host up here in Oak Bank, Manitoba, Canada, joined, as always, by my good buddy down in El Paso, Texas, Bruce Edmonds. Bruce, how you doing, buddy? Tired, but ready to rock. Nice. We've got yeah. a special we got a special guest today. Yeah, we do. The, we are joined today by the one, the only, the often imitated, never duplicated, Deepak Chona in California. Dr. Chona, how are you, sir? I am doing well. Thank you for having me, Matt and Bruce. I'm uh, pumped to talk Packers today. Absolutely thrilled to have you on today. Uh, uh, give us a little bit of background here. Uh, uh, what are you studying? What are you doing? What You've also got an algorithm. For sure, yeah. So I am, uh, my day job is as an orthopedic surgeon, finishing up residency this month at Stanford and headed to Harvard next month for a sports medicine fellowship. And uh, on the side, I uh, started this uh, group, Sports Med Analytics. We really dive deep on injuries, particularly in the NFL, seeing how these players respond to them, how long it takes them to come back, and really doing a data-driven, machine-learning-based approach to predicting their uh, stats and production and timelines uh, for how these things are going to affect NFL players. Dude, that is like, I'm, it's like ear candy. I swear to God, because I'm an analytics guy. I'm the numbers guy. I love numbers. I love diving in and to look at injuries from that standpoint and really trying to predict something. It's, so it's a predictive model, right? You're trying to create a predictive model with, with injuries on players. Totally. And, you know, it's, it's something I've been thinking about and guessing at on a spreadsheet for many years. But then in the past two years is when we started for sort of formally doing this. And I teamed up with some guys who were, know much more about computers than myself and we figured it out uh basically how to how to make models that'll give us some valuable information and fantasy football fans and uh and nfl fans will uh, both kind of been the beneficiaries but we're 
you know, always looking to, to keep pushing the frontiers. What do you include in your algorithm? Like what are some of the points that you include in your algorithms? Like main points, not all of it, obviously, but sure. just kind of what are key factors that you look at? Totally. Well, obviously the injury them itself has a lot to do with it. Player injury history is actually the, the most important thing that informs their future injury risk. And then when we look at each position has different effects of an injury, uh, the quickness for foot injuries, uh, the like explosiveness off of uh, cutting is more important for a wide receiver than it is for an offensive lineman, as you can imagine. And then we put in things like their athletic metrics. So for any player that has them, we their combine performance is actually really important for that and age uh and beyond that you know there's there's a number of other factors you could go on and on with the list and they vary to different degrees on how much they actually impact the performance but uh they there's a lot more to it than just this is the player and this is when they were hurt and this is what we expect so i didn't know all of that long ago but uh over the past two or three years this has kind of become my area of uh, both orthopedic research specialization and then this uh sort of sports analytics side as well so this has really been uh informative for me too over the last few years so so let's let's put your algorithm to the test here and uh i know bruce gave you a, a list of some injuries that uh, we're all been talking about everybody's been speculating and of course there's uh nothing like speculation because it's nothing but contemplation assumptions Really, the, the one I'm really concerned about, obviously, because he's going into his second year of rehab, let's start off with Bakhtiari, right? I think he is yeah. a linchpin for our offensive line. So let's start with Bach and what, what you're thinking about with him. Yeah, so Bakhtiari's a really interesting case. So he had an ACL. With the ACL, he had a part of his meniscus. So the meniscus is like a shock absorber in the knee. And he said only about 10% of that had to be cut out, which is not uncommon and not overly concerning. The thing that's concerning is that when he came back for just one game, he had his knee swell up on him so much so that they drained 80 milliliters of fluid. And for reference, that's probably eight times more than I would get out of your knee right now. So he, he did with Bakhtiari, the thing that this is all concerning for is that there was some sort of underlying cartilage injury that they don't always treat at the time of surgery. Usually these things don't flare up on uh, players. And with Bakhtiari, he went back, had a second surgery, essentially a cleanup procedure. Usually you're able to get these players back in the short term and get them to a level where their knee functions fairly well for the next couple of years. Long-term, you're it's a little bit concerning. Uh, the players who have cartilage injuries to their knee over time, they tend to have shorter careers. They have more durability issues. They miss more games. And actually, their performance actually decreases faster than an uninjured player or a non-cartilage injured player, I should say, uh, of the same age and position. So with Bakhtiari down the road, you're talking the four-year track, you're, it's concerning. But in the short term, I would expect him to be able to get back out there Reports are also pretty positive so far. Of course, you know, nobody's taking a lot of hits right now, but uh, reports are pretty positive. And I do expect Bakhtiari to be ready around the start of this season for uh, at least the next couple of years, probably without too much problem. There's a small chance he flares up again. And, and then we're talking about, 
is this guy going to need a, a big surgery that would shut him down for probably a year? But I think the more likely outcome here is a smooth recovery for the short term. That's exactly, I think that's the exact news that everybody was uh, uh, hoping to hear, right? And <clears throat> like when we were watching him, I know I, I said it, I put my foot in my mouth uh, right at the beginning of camp when I watched him doing the ladder drills and some of the, just the sled work and putting pressure on it. He had great movement. He had great fluidity in his, in his running and steps. And he seemed to be leaning on it pretty good. I thought he was going to be ready immediately. And then of course, dead wrong, wasn't ready until the end. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but if you go all the way to the last game of the season, play a little bit, and then you need quote unquote cleanup surgery or routine cleanup surgery, that's bad. That's not good. Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially it means something in the knee was unaddressed or re-injured. The ACL was intact from what we hear. The meniscus, that shock absorber was also not reportedly a problem. So really what it means is that there probably was a cartilage piece and that cartilage is what makes everything smooth when you bend the knee. So uh, if, if that's injured, you're going to have underlying swelling that just recurs and you can't do much about it. But what they probably did is went in there and sort of smoothed that injury out. Something called microfracture is what I would anticipate having done. And uh, with that, you know, it's, it's most likely something that they can get him through over the next couple of years. I mean, ultimately, any knee, like a joint injury like this, it, it's a dangerous injury, especially towards someone's career. Like it, these can be, for some reason, it just won't heal right. And no matter what he does, that's that, right? You're right to a degree. I would say that particularly the first year back tends to be that situation for players. In the ACL, the, actually the second year back, for younger players, especially, they tend to bounce back to their pre-injury levels of performance, <clears throat> but they do see a, a hit when it comes to their long longevity. So young players, you're thinking like your Saquon Barkley's, your JK Dobbins, guys that tore their ACL early. Now that they're removed from that injury, they're probably going to be close to normal, but long-term down the road, any additional tweak to that knee is going to represent a big problem potentially for them. So you're right. It's, it's a problem down the road uh, more so, but this being a second year back from the ACL, I would expect that part to be pretty well healed. Cool. So, you know, my daughters have actually gone through, they have patella alta. So I'm a little bit familiar with the rehab process and knees. Obviously it's not one of my, one of my daughters did have surgery. Sure. So with the rehab process is a lot of what's involved is strengthening the muscles around that, right? To kind of not put so much pressure on the, what else is involved in, in kind of the, the, the therapy part, the, the rehab process of the knee. Totally. So I would, I would break it down into three parts, really. One is the flexibility, the range of motion, everything gets stiff and swollen. So you got to get that back. That Bakhtiari is probably well past. The second part is the muscle strength. So, and that really involves the entire lower extremity, but the most important part is the quads. So right around the knee, they, they help straighten the knee, support it. Uh, that is really going to be critical for function. And it, when we, because of the way we do these surgeries, the quad gets slowed down a lot. So it just shrinks, it atrophies, and we can't do anything about that really in the short term, but 
uh, players have to obviously get it all back when they for when they come back uh, back to the field. And then the third phase of it is uh, essentially the sort of high level athletic motion and coordination. So doing the explosive testing, doing a lot of when when we have these patients who are coming back from ACL surgery, for example, we put them through a series of tests, jumping, running, cutting, making sure that all the we call it neuromuscular coordination, but essentially just means your body moving in, in the right rhythms is back to normal. Nice. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I that answered everything. Everything. I, yeah. I kept having questions. And then the next sentence, I was like, no, nope, no, nah, you just answered that. Okay. <laughs> well, That's perfect. That's perfect, awesome. man. Love it. That's perfect. I know uh, um, myself, uh, we were talking about this earlier. I've, uh, I had a handful of uh, knee injuries and some surgeries, uh, uh, MCL tears and uh, ACL tears. And one of the first things that they tell you is, is, you know, just stay at home, put your knee up, ice it, you know, take the painkillers, that sort of thing. And I'll tell you, it was about 24 to 36 hours. And I was slowly going up and down the stairs. I was like, if I don't move this leg, yeah, I, I, it, it was driving me. It was, you know, it was like the itch you, you just had to scratch. And that was one thing that every time they were like, were you moving it around at all? I was like, no, no, not at all. And they're like, are you going up and down the stairs? I'm like, I'm going up and down the stairs. <laughs> like I, I gotta, I gotta move it. I gotta do something with it. Right. And, and totally. Yeah. It, you're not alone. I'd say most of our, especially our, our football patients are, are very much in that line of thinking and for better or worse, you know, you can't, you can't shut somebody down completely, but, uh, but it is important to get moving again. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought, you know what, just blood flow, move, move, move. And, you know, slowly creep my way back i know they told me listen it's going to be six months before you came back and you know what it was only like three you know it really wasn't that bad so some of these things you, you see some of these guys get the injuries and i compare it to you know my experience and then you see somebody else like i had a, another player uh, that played with me uh, uh we coached together and everything he had a minor injury in his lower back and couldn't play another game and yeah. speaking speaking of minor back injuries. I know that uh, Zadarius Smith was on that list with his back injury. What can you tell us about the Zadarius Smith? Totally. Yeah. Zadarius Smith's injury is uh, pretty concerning in the fact that they, you know, obviously held him out for quite a while as a result of a back injury. I'm not finding a great deal of information, but as you mentioned, he did have back surgery. So usually when you when you're talking about a back injury that holds you out for a while, it's something like uh, for the basketball fans out there, Ben Simmons just had with the uh, herniated disc and where he was having, he had a small surgery done called a microdiscectomy. They basically just cut out part of the um, herniated disc, the, the tissue that's pulled out of place. And that's not that severe. People come back from that and do very well. Uh, there is a chance of recurrence, but it's not, crazy high in, in the NFL. The more concerning thing is if he needed to have a, a fusion surgery. So basically where they, they take out that disc tissue in between the bones and then they, they combine the bones together, hold them in place with combination of screws and sometimes plates. And, uh, and then with that, you have a lot of mixed opinions on uh, doctors allowing players to come back. It's a hard surgery to recover from your ability to bend and twist and 
all the sorts of things that you would think a, a defensive player needs to do are somewhat limited. So that would be more concerning. And uh, it's it's a little unclear, though, with the information that's out there, exactly what what has been going on for him. But with the back, you know, it, it does represent that spectrum from pretty minor to very severe. Yeah, the concerning thing that I have with him is just an entire year off, comes into training camp, OTAs, hardly any action whatsoever, and they're sitting them out again. So you know there's some sort of aggregation. And as much as they're saying that they're being cautious with him, Matt and I have talked about this from pretty much about midseason last year. We're like, this dude's not coming back because I, you know, I played rugby. I had a lower back injury, just a compression injury that I had. And I they had recommended I get uh, surgery in my back. And I was like, screw that. I'm not going to do that. You know, just rehab it and I'll just kind of stop, stop playing. But it's literally, if I bend over the wrong way, sometimes I feel that little tweak and there's times where I've actually had to, I've ended up bent like a banana, you know, and I can't even move yeah. my back up. And next thing you know, I'm getting a cortisone shot in the back <laughs> just to kind of make me make it through. Yeah, don't, don't get old Deepak. Okay. <laughs> don't get old. Cause I could tell you, at nine days out of 10, I feel strong as an ox and I can outlift any of the 19 year old kids that uh, work for me. And then one day I sneeze and my back is a stack of marbles for like a week. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, that's kind of the way it goes with the back sometimes. Not to say that Zadarius Smith is not coming back, but it's obviously something that we have to watch. And until they release a little more details, at least about what surgery he had and what the underlying problems were. Uh, then we're kind of out here guessing, but yeah, you're totally right. Back injuries can flare up and it's, uh, it's unfortunate, uh, unfortunately not something I can reassure you on for sure. You know, there's a lot of speculation and talk and, uh, with speculation comes masturbation. All there <laughs> is, is, you know, uh, there's a little bit of talk that apparently Zedarius, uh, uh, didn't like what the uh, team doctors and whatnot had to say in green Bay. This is why he left the team to go work out somewhere else. Then he came back to get cleared for one game and uh, couldn't get uh, re-cleared again by the Green Bay doctors. Apparently signed a deal with the Baltimore Ravens. They wouldn't clear him. 86 that deal. And now the Vikings, of course, who will pick up any person's trash. They have now picked up uh, Zedarius. And Zedarius has been held out the last three days because he's re-aggravated that back. This is starting to lean towards almost like one of those Marcellus Bennett where he said, oh, the team doctors in Green Bay told me this and told me that. And you find out, no, that's not at all. The, the doctors, and this is something that everybody has to understand, and I'm sure you can kind of uh, elaborate on this, but uh, even if you're a doctor that's employed by a team, you have a duty that supersedes whatever the team needs. It doesn't matter. It was like when, when I was head coaching, as much as I wanted to say, no, he's fine and go back out there. When the team doctors were standing there going, he's done. There was no arguing it. There was no nothing. There was, that's that. The doctor said, no, I can't take this anywhere else. Right. Yeah. To a degree, you know, players can always get second opinions and that's actually built into their, their collective bargaining agreement, but they, the doc has to ultimately tell, you know, can you return or can you not? So yeah. uh, if there's there's some degree of risk that players can be willing to take and but ultimately the doc gives those gives those opinions to the player and uh, often to the coach as well. So it's it's one of those things where you can't you can't make up the, the medical side. It is what it is. You know, you just give the information to the people who can make decisions on it. 
and Ted Thompson talked about this years ago too. And he said, you know, when the doctors make their decision, that's that, you know, uh, we have to go with the doctors. He said, we don't want millionaires in wheelchairs. Yeah. You, it, and that's, and nobody wants that. And especially when you're talking about, we call it the back, but what we're, we're probably referring to is the spine and the spinal cord. Yeah. Uh, that if you're talking about that sort of stuff, then you can, take out somebody's nerves, which means they wouldn't be able to, I don't know, move their leg, for example, pretty yeah. severe consequences. So it's a, uh, it's not a small, uh, not a small wager to bet on that. And, and in perspective, these guys are going to play football six, eight years, and then they're going to have 60 more years of life to live. Right. You but, know, it's kind of a major, you know, choice to make whether to be good for just a little bit and be, you know, just horribly sick and you know disfigured for the rest of your life or you know be a vikings fan so we have another uh uh guy on the list who who's the other guy who, who is, yeah Jair? so what we're gonna do is you know okay. because obviously we wanted to talk about zadarius smith because we play the vikings week one and more than likely on that side of the line assuming zadarius plays he's going to line up with the other side of our line which is eldon jenkins right who we're yeah, expecting yeah. to start at right tackle so what kind of news do you have on on eldon jenkins yeah so so jenkins is an interesting case he he's right around that borderline where with an acl tear he could very well come back for week one uh the issue with him so he tore in uh, about november and the average NFL player takes about 10 months to come back. So you're looking at somewhere in that September, October range based on, on that logic. But then offensive linemen are tend to be on a little bit on the sooner side of that timeline. So with, and he's also younger that in, in our algorithm also helps him his case out. And then lastly, he has, he was a second round pick. He's uh, pretty athletic in terms of his metrics. So all of these speak to a speedy, promising recovery. The one downside is that it does take a little while for players to get all the way up to speed. So you're looking at for an offensive lineman somewhere in that 12 to 14 month range before he's truly back at borderline Pro Bowl level, I would say. He should get back there, but at week one to expect him to play at that level is a little bit ambitious, I would say. Uh, so he with a part of this is becomes a decision making tree for players and for coaches that I want to be available, but I don't want to be hurting the team. And I don't want to be show, showcasing myself as less than what I am or was prior to the injury. So it's, it's a judgment call and that's why it becomes a little bit hard to predict some of the variation, but he could very well be eligible for week one. And it does sound like he's kind of trending towards that. We'll know a little bit more probably by August in terms of how his full recovery is going to progress. But but he's a guy that even if he's out there, I'm not expecting 100% of Jenkins for, uh, compared to what he was before injury. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. 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 Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. We're listening to my dad and his friend Bruce on Packers without borders. Thank you for listening to Packers without borders. You can catch us on Anchor. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts.
And don't forget to follow us on patreon.com front slash Packers Without Borders for some exclusive content behind the scenes. Check out our merchandise on TeePublic Packers Without Borders. Peace. Go Pack Go. This is Nebels from Chicago, Illinois, and you are listening to Packers Without Borders, the finest podcast in all the land. So what is the difference between, because I've caught myself saying, oh, El, you know, Eldon got this, is, has the same injury that Bach has. Um, but so what is the difference between both injuries in these knees with, with. Sure. With it's a good question. So with Bach, I think what the deal was is, is the underlying cartilage injury that is in addition to the ACL. And with Jenkins, we don't have any indication that that was necessarily the case. I would say it is very much the exception to have to have a swelling recur after coming back from the injury and then have to go certainly have to go another surgery that's a very atypical of a route to go so usually if you're assuming based on information that we have you would think that that's not really going to be an issue so uh with patients in general those probably 10% or less are undergoing that second surgery and having those recurrent swelling issues once they recover and come back. So with Jenkins, I think it's fair to, it's fair to assume, and you're always working on the information that is public, which is obviously less than the full medical record, but one would assume that he's not going to be dealing with that sort of recovery route. So what is, what is the timeline on a knee injury like this? Like what is the absolute quickest compared to this is you know it's too long sure it's a good question too the the absolute quickest people report up to six months or six months as the minimum and there are surgeons who will look at patients at six months and say okay you can go back to whatever you want to do with that being said in the nfl usually you're talking about a series of functional testing so more realistically, for most of these players, you're talking nine to 12 months for when they're going to be returning. And like I said, the average tends to be around 10, nine to 10 for offensive linemen, more like 10 to 11 for wide receivers. And that has to do with the nature of their motion, the cutting and sudden explosiveness. So you can sometimes see players go be out for even longer. I think Odell Beckham was a full year. Uh, maybe even 13 months this past time when he tore his ACL. So you, you can see really a full spectrum. There's quite a range and it really depends on the recovery of what we talked about, that muscle strength and that uh, neuromuscular coordination. The How are they doing when they jump and they land and they run and they cut? All those sorts of things are really what determine when a player should come back. But six months is the minimum, minimum floor. That's why I have Chris Godwin off of my uh, draft boards in fantasy. As do I. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I, you know, you're, you're talking about a January ACL tear for Godwin. And even if he comes back, he's not likely to be a hundred percent until November at least. So people are drafting him as if he's going to be the same guy, wide receiver two material. It's a little bit sketch, you know, and, and, Another part to, uh, of the injuries is the psychological effect. I yeah. know that uh, like the first time I tore my knee after that, every time it's always in the back of your head and you would, you would tackle somebody, you would get tackled, you would get hit. And it was always in the back of your head. 
even if you just banged your knee or something, if you felt anything remotely close, you were hypersensitive about it. And it was probably about three or four games before I was 90% confident in it, even though I stood on the sidelines. Oh yeah, no, I'm oh, ready to go hundred percent, hundred percent in my head. I was like, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like I have, I, I've tested it as much as I can and practiced on the stairs with the weight room, with the therapist, with the, you know, the elastic bands, but when the meat meets the metal is when you find out. Right. And that's kind of what happened with Bakhtiari, right. Was they were like, never, is that a Canadian Hold on. The meat meets the metal. <laughs> I've never heard that either, but I thought it was just me. <laughs> okay. Good. But I, I do like it and I may quote it later. But exactly. you know what I okay, okay. When the shit hits the fan, is that yeah. better for you yeah. Americans? Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, in Canada, we don't have that much shit. So we say things like meat metal. Wow. Right? Yeah, shot All across right. the bow. There you go. Old glory. So uh, 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 when push <laughs> comes to shove, when you're in those trenches and a 350 pound man is leaning on you and using all of his technique and he's trying to twist you and push you off balance and you have another 300 pound six foot, what is Bakhtiari, six, 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 five? You have another yeah. big monstrous man who is now putting all of his weight on that knee joint. That's when you find out. Yeah, you're right. And ideally, you find that out through all of the testing and the training rather than in game. But we certainly do see retears. And that's part of the reason why is the other thing is uh, you, you brought up a really good point that psychological readiness is it's not just something that our gut tells us matters, but it's actually in the orthopedic science. It's actually proven that this is a real factor. So that's going to be part of it as well. And that's, again, why there's variation to why every player doesn't come back at X number of months. And uh, it's, it's partly muscle recovery, partly the coordination, and then partly that psychological aspect as well. Well, leaning back on where the meat meets the metal, I'm I, I now want to talk about the uh, Jair Alexander uh, shoulder yeah. issue, because that's, that's exactly it is you can do all the training, he can have all the range in motion, he can lift all the weights and sleep comfortably at night. But until he pops somebody in that shoulder, you know, or with that shoulder, tackle somebody in a game, that, that's when he'll know that it's red. You're totally right. Jair Alexander actually, to me, is one of the less concerning injuries based on our, our data. And the reason is that, so we, we, again, with this one, we don't know exactly what the shoulder injury was. And if he had some sort of injection, if he had any surgery, they kept it under wraps. And that's obviously within their rights to do so, but it doesn't help us as fans and, and analysts trying to predict things. The thing with shoulder injuries though, in general, is that most of them for corners don't really impact their longevity or their performance when they come back. So for Jair Alexander, assuming things have went, have gone well, which they seem to have, we're looking at a pretty favorable analytics-based projection for his injury. So mm -hmm. less one of the less concerning injuries, which is obviously good news for Packers fans. How I, I personally have dislocated, let's see, my left, my right shoulder three or four times. I think my left shoulder has been dislocated more times than I took my wife out to dinner. So <laughs> I, I can tell you from experience, even years later, that it, it hurts, it is sore. It, it, there's days I can't move it and that sort of thing. 
if we're looking at a Jair Alexander injury like that, where, and, and again, like you said, I mean, here we are speculating. We have a tiny little nugget of information, two or three lines off of three or four pages of medical, right? Like, and, right. and we're trying to decipher what we know and what we've seen, right? But for right. a guy to miss an entire season, Totally. I mean, that's that's a significant shoulder injury. But then on the other side, like Bruce and I had talked about last week or last episode is, is the Packers would not pay someone $84 million if they weren't confident in that shoulder. Yeah. So, you know, with with Jair Alexander's shoulder injury, we were talking about an AC joint injury. So it's this joint right about here. And it's a little bit different than a shoulder dislocation. The AC joint we tend to see uh, see this quite a bit in football players, and it they tend to do pretty well, even with or without surgery, actually. They tend to do very well from a functional status, and it's less impactful than uh, the shoulder dislocations that you had, it sounds like. Uh, but with regards to his you know long-term career outlook, I really wouldn't expect it to be any different now that he's past the acute phase of the injury. Now, is it different for the shoulder than the knee? Because maybe the tendons and ligaments, they sit in a little bit more blood and they, they, you know, they get a little bit more chance to repair than you would get blood flow throughout your knee. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's pretty different. And the reason part of it is a lot of it has to do with the fact that you don't bear weight on your shoulder, meaning like, you know, obviously you don't walk on it. You don't, you do push in football, but you're not every single play running full speed on it. So the shoulder can be protected in a little bit more to a degree. And then the other part of it is that with this particular injury, the AC joint, whether you treat it with surgery or you treat it without surgery, p- people do tend to recover most of their strength. And uh, with the with the knee injuries that we were talking about, like the ACL, you do have such a deficit in the quad, quad strength that it takes almost a full year to just, just recover that. Yeah. So you know what we could do is just ask uh, AJ to donate his quad to uh, half of his quad to Bach. Yeah, He'll yeah. be good to go. He has some extra. No, back to yeah. the shoulder. So when you talk about the AC joint, you know, so we're kind of talking this through a little bit more to the visual. So if you were to describe kind of how the AC joint works in the shoulder and where it connects, because what I'm trying to look at, you know, I, I again, I, I had a lead shoulder when I played rugby, like as much as you need to tackle with both sides. And it was his lead shoulder that got injured. So is it more of an injury risk for him to be tackling somebody and compressing it or reaching up, you know, as, as a, as a cornerback would to try to kind of reach his hands up. So where do, would you see more of a possibility of making sure that he's good to go with the injury? Yeah. So when they'd be testing him, they'll be looking at more of that compression sort of injury. So it's right at the tip where we call it the acromioclavicular. So basically what it means is all the way out at the tip of the shoulder, uh, laterally and where that gets hurt usually is from either a tackle direct impact to it or falling on the ground with a full force onto it. So reaching and ta- and uh, intercepting balls, that sort of thing shouldn't really be an at-risk position for it. The reality is that once this is repaired, w- which it very likely has been in him and uh, and once he's his muscle recovery has sort of under undergone a full process, at this point, it's not a high re-injury risk. And with all that in mind, you know, it's, you can, any football player can injure their AC joint because of what we talked about, the, 
the collision to it, the falling on it, those are the mechanisms for it. But it's the type of thing that is not very likely to be ca cause a huge problem for him after the acute phase of it is, is sort of passed. Hence $84 million. Exactly. $84 million yeah. says it all. Well, that, that, that was my whole point, right? Was if they wouldn't pay somebody $84 million if they were at all concerned about his shoulder, right? I totally agree with I mean, that. I mean, they yeah, have absolutely. to do all sorts of medical imaging for him. If there's any concern at all, they'll get another MRI before they sign that contract. They are very liberal with imaging and, and testing and examining of these players. So if there's any concern at all, there's no chance he would have gotten that much. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, we have uh, the uh, one guy on the offensive side of the ball that I have not, I have scoured the internet to see what's going on with, with Robert Tanyan. You know, he came off of a fast and just a, a phenomenal year uh, touchdowns, pro productivity, and then he got injured and he yeah. just kind of appeared off of the face of the earth and there hasn't been a lot of news. So with his injury, what are you thinking? Sure. So Tanyan, we look at as a guy who's up there in terms of athleticism for a tight end Four, five, eight was his 40. He's 28 years old, sort of mid mid range in terms of age. And then we do look at his production saying, you know, five, 180 yards, 11 touchdowns for a tight end. Those are phenomenal numbers in 2020. So he tore his ACL in October. He's again, looking for tight ends. You're looking at about the 10 to 11 month range. So that would be put him somewhere around September. So it's very realistic. I think for Tanya to be ready for week one, I think week four to eight is when you're going to start to see him look like the player that he was before, but Seeing him in spurts or or in some fraction of himself before that would be pretty realistic, I think, with Robert Tunyon. Seems like that's why they've been mentioning DeGuara so much and Davis, right? I mean, they're 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 obviously getting the reps in OTAs and moving into training camp because there's really no need for Tanya. They're probably going to work him up slowly, right? And anticipate that he'd be there week one. Yeah. And even if he's ready week one, you still want to have those other guys prepared because you're not usually looking at a guy who's instantly ready to go out and be hundred percent of himself during yeah. week one about for him in about 10 or 11 months post-injury. So if I'm the Packers, I'm kind of mentally preparing myself to have Tanya in full strength around week six to eight. But mm -hmm. if I get him back before that and in a partial capacity, then that's kind of a, just a bonus win. Okay, man, this is awesome. Deepak. I mean, seriously, it's, Especially with medical issues, it, it's wonderful to have somebody that actually is dedicated to this because everybody speculates. We're on a podcast. That's what we do. We give opinions. We try to kind of figure out what's going on. But I'm telling you, it's just having somebody that, that's dedicating their their life to this, right? At this point, I mean, you're an orthopedic surgeon and now you're starting to move into this world. Um, and, and you don't just do football. Obviously, you also do the other sports as well that you look at right. this see any type of correlations between different sports in terms of recoveries and what you're, what you're looking at with injuries? Yeah, that's, it's a really interesting question in, in orthopedics for me that different sports have such different outlooks for players. And, you know, obviously baseball tends to be the least affected with a lot of these types of injuries that we're talking about in the lower body, but the most affected with regards to pitchers and shoulders. So every 
every sport just has such different uh, demands that it places on the body. And as a result, you know, we see correlations. We see things like Achilles are hard for basketball players and football players to come back from. We see things like uh, ACLs are pretty consistent. There's a temporary dip and then players make their way back in both the NFL and NBA. And uh, with, with everything in between, there's, there's variation from sport to sport. And it really tells you a lot as, as uh, both an observer and for me in my profession, it tells me a lot about what are the things that this sport really demands of a player. So I'm, you know, always, like I said, I'll, I love talking these injuries. This has been a hobby for me for many years since I saw James Andrews doing it 12 years ago, uh, talking about Drew Brees' shoulder. And now I'm, you know, hoping to sort of take over in, in this in this realm. And I'm always happy to to talk more injuries with y'all and with uh, anyone who's who's interested. Absolutely, man. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, uh, getting the insight and uh, the kind of behind the scenes and a professional opinion. Uh, you know, it's always fantastic to hear. And, uh, you know, you're a pretty cool guy. Pretty funny. I, I'm not too sure about the Texans uh, <laughs> behind your head there, but we'll let you have it because you're from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I mean, we've, we haven't had the same luck y'all have over the course of time with the, you know, quarterback dynasties, but we uh, hopefully have something coming or maybe a first round pick in the near future to save us. There's quite a bit of talk uh, and the rumor mill is getting up that it looks like maybe even Deshaun Watson might be suspended for this entire season as another yeah. couple of people come forward this i don't understand how they guarantee a guy that much money when they know what's hanging over his head in my professional opinion where there's smoke there's fire and there seems <laughs> to be a lot of bloody smoke coming out of that guy's backyard right now yeah definitely a lot of smoke you know i heard something interesting the way they structured the contract there's some very small portion of it that is guaranteed for this coming year so even if he were to get suspended, he's not missing a huge chunk. And then following that, he basically gets the full deal. So they've they've structured it in such a way that it's kind of foolproof. So no matter what Roger Goodell does to him, it can't send him back for probably more than a year uh, is what I'm hearing. You know, Brown's doing Brown's things. Now they got Baker Mayfield on the sidelines. That's like just like I'm not coming to camp. They can't trade him. They can't get rid of him. You know, it's almost like Jimmy Garoppolo out in uh, San Francisco. You know, Trey Lance is ready. Maybe he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. <laughs> Here goes Garoppolo. Garoppolo has surgery. And now, you know, they're stuck with a yeah. couple of good quarterbacks. And, you know, well, when one I saw the play news, and the other one's too hurt. Yeah, when I saw the news on Baker not being traded or not being moved, I figured there was something going on with Deshaun where they – I'm pretty sure teams were interested in, in probably getting Baker, but for them willing to take that amount of um, a cap hit with Baker, I almost felt it was an insurance policy because Baker's going to play. Like if Deshaun is suspended, Baker's going to play and he's going to say, I'm, he's going to play lights out to get that big contract. Right. So well, I don't think he plays another down in Cleveland and I wouldn't blame well, him. Even if Deshaun is out, you don't think that Baker will go in there and you don't think he'll be, I think because of the perception of Baker and everybody thinking he's this kind of this diva kind of person that came out, you know, cause I saw him playing college, obviously Texas tech and the big 12 and then moving over to 
to the SEC with that, he always had that stigma of being, being this spoiled kid, but I've never seen that in Baker. I think he's just arrogant, which is what most quarterbacks are anyway. And yeah, I really this is like, like play. this is like if your wife brought home the new dad and the new dad was going to go on vacation for a couple of weeks and she asked you just to fill in. <laughs> all, the answer is no. no. The answer is no. All out the answer is him. no. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Forget it, right? Forget it. And you can't blame Baker. You can't blame him. You know, the guy's gone through what he's played four years. He's had four different head coaches, four different offensive coordinators, and he still played pretty good for Cleveland, you know, and uh, poor Baker just can't catch a break. I mean, they got to, you've seen the commercials. The poor guy's got to sleep at the stadium for crying out loud. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the crazy thing about Baker is that we're, I think we're underselling his performance because if you look at him two years ago, he was pretty good. And last year he tore his labrum. He just dislocated his shoulder and it was his non-throwing shoulder, but you can't really protect yourself when you have your other, your only good arm is holding the ball. So with that, then he re-dislocated it later than the year. And it was at that point, he really shouldn't be out there. I think they sat him for a few weeks at a time, but essentially his whole season last But they year, had to drag him off at. the field. They had to drag him off the field. He was not coming out. And right. then the first thing you do is run off and grab a different quarterback. Like, yeah, it's pretty rough. It's a rough business. I mean, though. I, I, I get that the NFL stands for not for long, but dude, right. I was injured. You've given me four new head coaches, four new offensive coordinators. I've basically been the only thing other than Chubb on your offense that's been doing anything. And you yeah. and you replace me with a guy who's about to be sued by apparently every woman that lives in Texas. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I would yeah, be pissed. Totally. And I would know that, you know what, I'm going to hold them to it and I'm going to get my roster bonus. And then I'm going to tell them to trade me right after Deshaun Watson gets suspended for a year so that they're screwed for an entire year. That's what I would do. And I'd go play in Chicago for two years. No. (laughs) Right. Chicago (laughs) likes to grab seven or eight quarterbacks at the beginning of the year, even though they have their franchise quarterback, they like to grab four or five other guys and then, you know, (laughs) rotate them in after every pass or something. Right. Yeah, you're you're not wrong there, but but I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a little drama soap opera style to see what happens in Cleveland as usual. Absolutely. Deepak, I have one more very serious question for you. For sure. Um, so when you are in an operating room, if you were locked into an operating room for the rest of your life, what three albums would you have playing? Oh, in wow. Okay, well, that's a good question. I would start with T.I., king uh from back in the day and then i would have jay-z blueprint three and then um you know i have a uh, a buddy of mine who who works in the music industry so i would probably listen to whatever his newest thing is out this time jack harlow uh so that would that would be my playlist going on in the operating room but I'll I'll hope to uh, get out of there every once in a while for a bathroom break and a snack. But no, there's bedpans. You're stuck there, buddy. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll make the most of it. <laughs> These questions get better and better every episode. I guarantee you. It's That's like awesome. Pulitzer stuff there. Pulitzer stuff. 
Deepak, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, man. Uh, anytime you want to come on, uh, you, you got some injury insights for us, please join us. Yeah, feed Absolutely, us your man. wisdom and knowledge. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've really had a, had a good time talking with y'all. It's been fun. So Next time we'll play uh, meteorologist or porn star. Okay. <laughs> last episode that we played that bruce was like nine for nine it was ridiculous oh man. and you know bruce and bruce bendekert's dad was actually really good at it too oh man okay well let's do it i'm down <laughs> sounds good Deepak. it was awesome man thank you we'll have you on throughout the season as we have injuries and things that are coming up but really appreciate the time it's great talking to somebody who is as geeked out on this stuff as we are um and on here and just giving us that insight really appreciate you man absolutely man well i will talk to you both of y'all soon bruce and matt great meeting y'all and uh we'll do this again sounds good, sounds brother. great sounds great okay. don't forget monday is mailbag monday you got any questions for us you can send them to us at packers without borders at outlook.com or dm us at borders packers if you got any questions for the dr deepak send them to us too we'll make sure that he gets them and answers them for you on air wednesday's episode jess Prylist, the inventor, the maker, the myth, the legend of hardcore carnivore will be on. She'll be giving us our backyard warrior barbecue, smokehouse, grilling tips and techniques. And then the following weekend, the coming event, it's been a year in the making. Sleepless in Oak Bank, Bruce and his wife will be in Canada in person, live from chicken days in Oak Bank. This is his hillbilly farm as we get up here in Canada. I'm telling you, you're going to love every minute of it. Bring your overalls. Bring your straw hat. Don't forget your boots. Peace. Go pack up. This has been Packers Without Borders. Try and be kind to one another. Try and love each other. And go pack go. Esto ha sido Empacadores Sin Fronteras. No se les olvide cuidarnos unos a los otros. Hasta luego.